Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. Someone has said that Jesus is the only person who ever chose to be born. This is the wonder of the incarnation. Charles Wesley, a leader of the Methodist movement, described the incarnation in one of his hymns. Let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree, to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. So the creator of all things who holds the universe together entered this world like every one of us, contracted to a span, a hand width, or maybe a couple, as a baby, fully God, yet fully human, experiencing the pain of a fallen world. Let's read from Hebrews. It's obvious, of course, that he didn't go to all this trouble for angels. It was for people like us, children of Abraham. That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, he would have already experienced it all himself, all the pain, all the testing, and would be able to help where help was needed. Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us, and will soon be celebrating this at Advent. In 1 Timothy 2, Paul calls Jesus the man, Christ Jesus, the one who reconciles God and humanity. It's been said that Jesus didn't die so that we would become Christians. He died so that we could become fully human because his life has shown us what it is to be truly human, and he is our pattern and example. He embodied the agape love of God, that is, his unconditional, self-giving, sacrificial, intentional love. So, as members of his body, how then do we incarnate this kind of love? Well, life is all about relationship. Nothing is more important than relationships. God's design is that human relationships should be fueled and filled by righteousness. We see this thought echoed in the Amplified Version of 1 Peter 3.11. Do not merely desire peaceful relations with God, with your fellow men, and with yourself, but pursue, go after them, these relationships, of course, are all interconnected. And I believe the Holy Spirit helps bring adjustment, balance, and healing in these areas for us as we look to grow and mature as disciples, our goal being authentic love, love of God, ourselves, and others. Let's read from a book by Trevor Partridge called Love With Skin On. Nothing can take the place of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer. He ministers to the deepest needs of the human spirit, bringing with him grace and truth, transforming our lives and personalities to become partakers of the nature of Christ. It is his indwelling ministry that brings about our growth into Christ-likeness, making us more and more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit invites us to cooperate with him in his work in the lives of others, 
allowing opportunities for us to display that agape love. So this morning, I want to try to earth some of this and remind ourselves of some ways in which we might incarnate God's love in practice. Luke's Gospel shows a consistent concern for our human condition, what it's like to live in this world, and he records a lot of encounters that Jesus had with ordinary people and their needs. In Luke 7, where Jesus meets the widow in the village of Nain, when her only son has died, the New International Version says, his heart went out to her. I prefer that translation. It's as if there was a real movement within him, a flow of compassion outwards from him to her. When we feel our hearts or our inner selves being stirred or moved, it could well be the prompting or leading of the Holy Spirit in a situation. As if the Holy Spirit is drawing something of the life of God out of us for another person. Of course, this might be an opportunity to use the gifts of the Spirit. It's good to cultivate an ongoing sensitivity to the movement of our hearts to hear what the Holy Spirit may be saying or doing. Another well-known encounter is the road to Emmaus, also in Luke. The book Love with Skin On, which, which we've just read from, goes into this more fully. It's on what we call Easter Sunday. Jesus has just risen from the dead, and amazingly, one of the first things he does is to come alongside and enter the world of two ordinary disciples in their time of need. They're walking away from Jerusalem, which was actually to be the place of promise for the disciples, but these two are in a crisis of faith. Their world has been rocked. The one they hoped would set the Jewish nation free from bondage to Rome has just been crucified, and so had all their hopes and dreams. What we see here is that Jesus doesn't impose himself on them or even reveal his identity at this point in the story. He just comes alongside and meets them in their place of confusion and sadness. As Sue Rinaldi would say, Greek word spoiler alert, the New Testament word describing this is paraklesis. It means to come alongside in time of need. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Jesus uses questions in a masterful way and for a variety of purposes in the Gospels, but always to connect and engage meaningfully with people. Here on the road to Emmaus, his gentle inquiry opens the way for the disciples to articulate and process their feelings of loss and desolation. I really like what Amy Or Ewing says about Jesus' use of questions. In John's Gospel, for example, the first time he speaks, he asks a question, what are you looking for? Questions can show empathy, and she cites the example of Jesus coming to the grieving family when Lazarus has died. He asks, where have you laid him? Phrasing which shows tenderness, love, and empathy. We need to be able to speak to people with love and compassion and empathy in situations of distress 
and disappointment and grief, entering into what Amy or Ewing calls that holy ground with empathy that enables people to process what they're feeling can be very powerful. I think we have to be aware that when we hear someone's pain and distress, we can feel a pressure to try to fix or make things better, rather than be present and listen with empathy. Paul Tillich, the theologian, said, the first duty of love is to listen. A healthcare expert has commented that active listening gives someone the respect and consideration they deserve by being fully present. And when you reflect back what's been said, you show that you genuinely understand the feelings or messages they're trying to convey. Being listened to, she says, increases people's ability to rally their own coping skills. Let's read from Gerald Hughes' Walk to Jerusalem. The gift of being a good listener, a gift which requires constant practice, is perhaps the most healing gift anyone can possess, for it allows the other to be, enfolds them in a safe place, does not judge or advise them, accepts them as they are without desiring to change them, and communicates support at a level deeper than words. In thinking about how Jesus models coming alongside people, I was reminded of the time when the British triathletes, the Brownlee brothers, were in a race in Mexico. One of them was in the lead when he began to suffer dangerously from heat exhaustion. Then you see his brother coming alongside him and supporting him to the finishing line for the urgent medical help that his brother needed. He said afterwards he didn't think for a moment about stopping to help. He would have done the same for anyone. He'd been in that situation himself in a previous race and had told himself that if he ever saw anyone in the same position, he would stop to help. In Genesis 4, the Lord asks Cain, where is your brother? Cain replies, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Mother Teresa said in her reflections, Today, if we have no peace, it is because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. That man, that woman, that child is my brother or my sister. The gospel of Jesus Christ ensures a different answer to Cain's. To come alongside someone in their time of need is an opportunity to incarnate God's love, to embody, to be that love of God for others. Ephesians 5 encourages us to be imitators of God and walk in love. This is about lifestyle, a life of love. I'm sure we can all point to people who've encouraged, encouraged us and been an example to us in this. Someone who's lived in recent times, who's been an inspiration to me, is Eric Little, and I don't mean the shopping experience. People of my vintage may remember the film Chariots of Fire about the 1924 Olympics and how the Scottish sprinter Eric Little wouldn't run in the 100 metres which he was best suited to because it was held on a Sunday and as a devout Christian he would not break the Sabbath. Subsequently, to everyone's amazement, he did win gold in the 400 metres. 
But what inspires me about his story is his character, his devotion to God, his work as a missionary in China, and the numerous testimonies of the people he was with in an internment camp during the Second World War. His humility, kindness, patience, and unswerving service to everyone in that camp is well documented. It was said of him that his presence gave people hope. He could relate to anyone. He was everyone's friend. The children and youth loved him. They came knocking on his quarter's door so much, it caused the other men to put up two flip cards on the outside of the door. Eric Little in, or Eric Little out, as required. He was always concerned for the mental well-being of the children, so even agreed to umpire sports on a Sunday afternoon, because it was said of him, he did everything for the greater good. He gave his precious running shoes to a young man who had no shoes to wear. This person was so inspired by Eric's messages on loving your enemies, he subsequently went to serve as a missionary in the land of his enemies for 38 years. He said Eric passed on to him the baton of forgiveness. In the story of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, which Yvonne touched on so eloquently last week, we see a woman who also loved well in her commitment to Naomi. She comes alongside Naomi and journeys with her to Bethlehem, where she resolutely works in the fields to provide for them both. In Ruth, we see again that intentional love that involves the will and action, which is the agape kind of love. It's been said that this love, rightly understood, is an attitude with related action that seeks the well-being of another person. I think there's a beautiful dovetailing and harmony in their relationship as they seek each other's highest good. Ruth works to preserve their lives in the here and now by gleaning in the fields, while Naomi instructs Ruth to go to Boaz on the threshing floor to secure her future. Their story shows that God puts a high value on human kindness. It reflects his nature, and it's a fruit of the Spirit. The theologian John Watson said, be kind, everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. In 1 Samuel, we have another example of loving well in the life of Jonathan, the son of Saul, who was king of Israel. Jonathan demonstrated an unwavering trust in the purposes of God, and we see this played out in his friendship with David. Scripture records that Jonathan loved David as himself. Jonathan displayed the opposite spirit to Saul, his father, who became obsessively jealous of David and continually attempted to have him killed. Where Saul rebelled and fought the will of God, Jonathan demonstrated a Christ-like concern for doing the will of God. From the outset, he understood and accepted that the Lord had chosen David over himself to be king. He did not merely accept his non-kingly role, he embraced it and became David's friend and protector and helped him to escape from Saul's murderous rage. He walked the line between not dishonoring his father 
while remaining loyal to David, his friend and the Lord's anointed. Jonathan's lack of jealousy, in contrast to his father, was truly remarkable. In Jonathan, we see the ultimate good neighbor. He epitomized one of the messages in Philippians. He demonstrated no selfish ambition, but in humility, counted David more significant than himself. Jonathan shows us what it is to know God and to know ourselves. He came alongside David and served him for a time, but their lives were each unto the Lord. Just as he knew God's will for David was for him to go, he knew that God's calling on his own life was to remain, to honour and serve his father, and eventually he died alongside him in battle. I think in Jonathan, we see that example of a life laid down. As I said at the beginning, life is about relationships. Someone has said great stories are relationship stories. These people's lives each tell a story, worked out in difficult circumstances, but with Jesus at the center, all of these people we've heard about today are examples of people who've incarnated God's love in their relationships. What their stories testify to and what will remain is love. Our lives each are a story that will be told as well. May God continue to give us opportunities to love well. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. Amen. <laughs>